Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by The Runner Report. I'm your host, Joshua Potts, and we coming to you every single week back on Two Black Tuesday. Like, come on, can we get like a clap from you guys real quick? We're back on Two Black Tuesday, finally back again. And we just want to thank you guys for joining and all the support that you guys have been giving us over these past six months. We have 20, what, 26 more weeks to go, 26 more episodes to go till this first season's over. And we have a really special guest here today and i'm really excited for all that we're going to talk about to be honest and before we get into it don't forget to rate subscribe uh share the podcast anything that you can do to help the two black runners podcast for it to continue to grow we want to get to that place where we're a regular podcast in the running game and i think we have the potential to do that but let's get into it bro let me introduce the brother from the same mother super hot pots aaron pots aaron how's it going bro how's it going Bro, it's going great, man. I, we're back on a Tuesday? Like, damn. We back. It, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, and I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for that. My bad. <laughs> My bad. But today we got something special for you guys. We got a tastemaker on the show uh, in the running game. Definitely some somebody in the media space that me and Joshua both love what, he, love what he's been doing for, for years now and always been looking to him you know but definitely a tastemaker and we never i don't think we've ever had a guest a guest like this on so nah. i think i think people are gonna like it a lot i'm yeah i'm excited to get this one going bro yeah so let's just get right into him introduce him real quick we got the founder of the Sidious mag the host of the Sidious mag podcast he is the voice of the running game his hand is on the pulse his hands on the pulse of running he does it all Chris Chavez is in the building, well, in Zoom in New York, but he's in the building. Chris, how's it going? Thanks, guys. I know I'm super pumped to be on this because, like, for months now, you guys mentioned six months. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I was there from, from the get-go, but I think I picked you guys up early, and, like, I've been a huge fan of what you guys have been doing. Seeing your guys' growth has been amazing, um, especially in the past couple months. You guys are featuring some awesome athletes and having some really engaging and, and interesting conversations. So uh, total respect for me. I'm a huge fan of, of you guys. And also, you know, I think one thing that's super important to just note off the bat is that you guys are just fairly young, just like me. Uh, I yeah. think I mean, it's weird for me to find another uh, person in the track and field media space that is younger than me because I'm only I just turned 27, like not too not too long ago. Um, and you know, on top of that, I think the other important you know component to recognize is the diversity that we have just off the yeah. in this sort of conversation because for me and it's something i've been getting thought to in a lot in the last couple of months you know i'm hispanic and i don't see too many other people like me when i go to something like the olympic trials and i'm in the mm-hmm. zone um and so i'm really hoping that you know we can share that mix zone next year in eugene yes, sir. Uh, and, and kind of up that present you know of bringing a little bit of more diversity to the track and field media space 100 percent, bro it's Hispanic Heritage Month, September 15th, October 15th. We're celebrating you, celebrating you, for real, for real. <laughs> Love it. Dude, and, and also, then- I was just going to say, going back to what you said real quick, like, we we hosted, we did a Sunset Tours through Zoom, and that was the first thing we were saying, like, we were, we're so different than anyone there, just our whole vibe. So, well, Foot Locker yeah. first, Aaron. Yeah, oh, yeah, even Foot Locker first. It was just us and, and Miles split there. And Joshua was thinking, like, man, we feel like he felt like we didn't belong. But at the same time, 
like you said, we're we're young and and we're in this game. And I was like, I feel like just that aspect of of being young too also gives you like that connection um, to the athletes that is kind of kind of lacking in the game. But just yeah, awesome to awesome to like have another person. That's why I was like, we need to get him on because he's going through the same things that we're going through and doing some of the same stuff that we're trying to do. So it's always great to just, yeah, talk and, talk and network for sure. But he's been in the game. Like, he's done it all, bro. He's He's been in for a couple years. I'm surprised that the, he's only 27 because it seems like he's been in here like for, fi- like for 15 years already. He got the experience like that. But before we get into more of just how you've gone to this point and we want to do like a little recap of 2020 so far in the track world, I really want to talk about just really what's going on right now and just how, how are you really doing in the past like we started our podcast in the past six months. In the past six months, it's been a real Same. turbulent time in the U.S. And from COVID to civil unrest. And then if you're a runner, just from the civil unrest was really just on top of that with the Ahmad Aubrey shooting as well. And then looking on to that and now all these schools being cut and you're like really into the game of running. Like we said, your fingers on the pulse. Just how, how's everything, how have you been handling everything in the past six months just to start off right off the bat? Yeah, it's been crazy, right? Like this year just yeah. kind of sucks across the board just yeah. in general. Uh, and there's like very few sort of like bright spots. I mean, we're kind of fortunate in the fact that we happen to get a couple big track meets off and like we're seeing yeah. like incredible performances that, you know, for a moment offer some good distraction from just some of the harsh realities of, you know, the real world. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I was really wondering, I guess, from, from March onward, where it's like, all right, now that sports are going to stop, like what's going to happen, especially in my role at Sports Illustrated, it was just like, mm. uh, that was a constant question I would get. It's like, how is Sports Illustrated getting through this without sports? And, you know, it's kind of crazy because you do just have to pivot to a bunch of news about, you know, here are athletes you know testing positive for for covid or here's you know how the calendar's all of a sudden getting reshuffled and, and things are getting postponed and canceled and so you have to report on that kind of stuff and then you know may late may and early june rolls around and you know instead of you realize that there's much more important things than, than sports and you you kind of have to shine a light on you know the civil unrest that's going on in this country mm-hmm. and this huge awakening and so you know reporting on on stories about race and social injustice that became you know sort of a priority and kept me busy from and it's still keeping me busy i would say from you know may to to now like i'm, I'm definitely working on a feature that that i've got coming out um soon um but yeah i know it's it's been crazy because you you would think that you know the world shifting on pause means that there's nothing nothing to do but uh yeah there's there's been a lot of stuff and at the same time you kind of have to keep that your own sort of like mental health in check and, and you know yeah. and you know continuing to, to to run and finding that motivation of without any sort of races on the calendar like what what to do uh and what to look forward to and so you know it's kept me sane and you know i'm still busy you know aside from 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 writing for sports illustrated i think we've definitely been upping the podcast on on sidious mag you know sticking to a weekly weekly schedule or you know on the sidious mag podcast where i do interviews with athletes coaches and whoever um you know dana giordano got a show that popped off i think we just we just launched that um during the pandemic and so um yeah i I mean in in short just sort of like there's just been so many uh other things i guess i I can do in in the span of time and so 
yeah, I've been staying busy and I don't, I, my lack of sleep has not improved uh, <laughs> at all since during the pandemic. Yeah, and I would I would uh, agree with you on that. Like I would say for me and Joshua here at the Writing Report and with, with two black runners, we had a lot of big plans going into 2020. We we started off the year going to Foot Locker, doing baton talk, um, handing out shirts. And that was like the beginning of the running report. And when everything got shut down, it was like, dang, like our plans to go to Arcadia, to Mount Sac, to all these meets to yeah. advertise, like, what can we do? And that's where two black runners really came in and it gave us a chance to, you know, you, you know, not focus on what you can't do, but focus on what you can. And we've, I can't believe it's been six months that we've been reporting a podcast weekly. And one of the, one of the first podcasts that became big for us is when Ahmad Aubrey um, got passed and got killed. Um, me and Joshua just went, went on, just me and him, and talked about it. And unfortunately, you know, it happened again. And that inspired us to do uh, the Running While Black campaign, where we had Will Clay, Raven Rogers, Michael Granville, and some other some other athletes on there to talk about it. What inspired you and like, how did that come fruition to create that black off the track uh, Sports Illustrated article? Yeah, so I mean, like, I feel like that's definitely been maybe the biggest project that I took on in the last like six months. And, you know, something like that is just reactionary. I didn't have an editor telling me, hey, you should do this. Uh, or what are you thinking? This was, it was an idea that came to me sort of, you know, in that period where, there's so many different things that are going through your head. You know, you're, you're, you're constantly hearing, Oh, you have to read this. You have to listen to this. You have to watch this. And so there's mm -hmm. so much to take in um, that, you know, I needed some, some time to take in, you know, a lot of this stuff. And so in that period of sort of self-reflection, I realized it's like, I've got this platform, you know, whether it's, it, you know, through the various different podcasts that I host um, to amplify some of these voices. But then I realized, all right, that's one step and doing more of that but then at the same time the biggest platform that i have is sports illustrated i mean it's it's like the national yeah. sports magazine of record and so uh without even like telling my editor really that uh here's this idea i had i just kind of started doing the work and i was like all right i'm going to reach out to these prominent uh olympic track athletes and so uh, it, it you know these are olympic gold medalists these are world record holders these are the best of the best. And, uh, you know, eventually I mentioned it to my editor. I was like, I'm just going to ask him three questions and it's going to be one, what is, what does it mean to you to be black in America? Two, what is the encounter or experience with racism that has shaped you into the person that you are today? And the third one was, what do you want to see done or what are you hoping to accomplish to make change in this world? And so I know that I can just sit there and listen to, to, their uh, you know their opinions and their stories and then this could have been 14 different articles because all these conversations i had were anywhere from you know 20 minutes to an hour and yeah. i took the entire week off of running and i hadn't done that in a while um to just you know talk to all these people and then go you know sit in my in my apartment and uh transcribe every word of these conversations and it could have been 14 articles and instead we decided to just make it into one uh one piece that 
would make a pretty loud, I think, sort of impact when you have to take in all these stories. And so it ended up being 7,000 words um, and the longest thing that I ever written for Sports Illustrated. Um, but it's really not my words. These are the words of the athletes that I, that I interviewed. And so, um, yeah, it, it was it was a period of, of re- realizing what is it that I can do. And for me, it's always been sort of like, all right, you you can amplify these voices and 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 tell some of these stories. And so, you know, for me, that was just step one. Like, uh, I don't feel like I did that article. It's out there now and I'm done. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's not it. I think you got to continue doing more. And so, yeah, you kind of can see it sometimes through various other podcast episodes that I've done with with uh, athletes. It's sort of like upping the diversity there and just kind of keeping that mindset and being more mindful about that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was just one, is one step forward. I've got you know, an investigative piece that I'm, that I'm looking into sort of that also deals with, with racism. And, you know, I've got another profile coming out pretty soon. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things working behind the scenes. And that's another thing too, that I feel like it, you don't see it until some of this stuff drops. Like for that whole entire week, maybe I wasn't posting on Instagram or on my Instagram story, but it's because I was having these sort of conversations and and doing and transcribing and doing all this kind of stuff in in, in the background. So um, everyone works in different ways, and I think that that's mm-hmm. something to kind of keep in mind um, w- throughout this whole entire process. And and you know, it's not over. Yeah, and we really need we really need people like you, like on on the on the inside, like really doing that work, and also like normalize like speaking about these topics because i just feel like in the track and field world like we just don't we don't see the athletes voices amplified as much when it comes to these topics and i feel like in like football and basketball i'm not saying those sports are perfect but you know espn is putting up the tweets lebron says or like if or serena says something like it's gonna be up there whereas yep. like in track and field we don't really have we don't have like the you know we don't have an nba or anything it's just the USATF um, in like the Olympics. That- well, that's what I feel like made so many of like the encounters with racism just so much more impactful and, and, and raw, I would say, is because, you know, you have someone like Dalila Muhammad, who, you know, has the world record and has an Olympic gold medal. But if you saw her walking down the street, uh, you wouldn't recognize who she is. And, or like the common person wouldn't recognize who she is. And so if you do have an instance where someone is racist, you know, and they have this aggression or whatever it is that they're going to show and, and they, they let it out onto someone like her, she's definitely more vulnerable to some sort of that sort of behavior than say a Serena Williams walking down the street, because a lot of the people know who she is. And so, yeah, I think that's what kind of made the experiences that I heard of, I think a lot more uh, impactful to me. It was just because it's like, these common sports stars on the, on the NFL and the NBA. Yeah, sure. They also have these, these, these uh, aggressions toward them sometimes, or, or these encounters and these experiences. But I feel like on the track side, because there isn't that sort of that recognition, it was, some of these stories were really hard to take in. Yeah. Then also on top of that, like how Aaron was speaking, like the, the track stars, they do like have endorsements. They run for Nike, they run for ASICs. But at the end of the day, too, they run for USA. And so I what was really hit me, like one of the biggest stories was when Jasmine Todd wrote her 
wrote her thing on like Instagram, like how does it feel to be a USA track and field athlete and having to run with that US USA across your chest and then to go back home or just even to be out there and just feel like the racial injustice and feel like you can't really protest or take that knee that you want to on the podium or anything like that could definitely be a struggle. And I was just wondering like, what was what was the story or what were some, a few stories that kind of just hit you the most on Black Off the Track that you that you really had to think about, you know, or what was your favorite one that you heard? Yeah, I think for me, it was just, you know, I didn't, I've never really interacted with Darrell Hill sort of before um, speaking to him for, for that piece. Um, but the way he put it together was, was just, uh, I think, perfect, um, where he was definitely one of the more powerful voices that I heard because, you know, he had this sort of experience where he was driving in traffic and like all of a sudden there's a, there's a, police officer like right behind him and his stomach just drops and like he knows he's not doing anything wrong but the thought crosses your head and the fear takes over and so his definition and I kind of I don't have the piece in front of me when I asked him it was like what what does it mean for you to be black in America he repeated so much of like what um, I think someone like LeBron James said when it was that shut up and dribble um, and and that Fox News sort of like uh, controversy Mm. uh, where you know sometimes people just want these people to be athletes, but they're more than that. These are other human beings. And so I think Jarrell Hill was definitely, I think one of the more powerful accounts because, you know, you look at him, he's a, he's a shot putter. He's a, he's a huge guy. And like you, you kind of in your head, you think, you know, this guy is tough. Um, yeah. You know, th- these fears are, it doesn't matter how, how tough or strong you are. These are real life fears. And so, yeah, that, that one definitely really struck me. And then, you know, there were others, too, where it was, like, uh, Aliq Harris and Will Clay, where there were instances where they were just being kids, like, they're just hanging out, like, whether it was, like, getting McDonald's or or, or just driving around the neighborhood. And, you know, same, same similar, you know, uh, fear of, of police and, 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 you know, wrongfully being stopped and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy to, to realize just how much they all had in common, too. Um, and the fact that I spoke to them all separately, they didn't know that they were sharing all these common commonalities mm. until the piece kind of came out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's crazy. But it, how common it really is, and so many have so many people have different stories. And I can only imagine, like, yeah, you're going to each individual person, and they're just telling you these uh, reaccounts of these things that happened to them, and you're just finding all these similarities. So I'm sure that was like just a lot to take in and a lot of emotional labor to, to write out and everything. So we really do appreciate you doing that though. No, I mean, th- th- I mean, thanks for, for, for the kind words on that. And I mean, of course you guys also did a great job with all the various conversations that you hosted on Instagram and on, and on the podcast. So yeah, I think for a lot of people, if they haven't read, you know, the sports illustrated story that I did, they can still go check it out. I'm pretty sure if you just Google black off the track, si.com like it comes up um and i think it goes hand in hand with some of the past episodes that you guys did yeah it's really thank you especially being as someone at sports illustrated let's talk about running at that level not i mean just about black off a track but all the other things that you do on sports illustrated talk about running on that level especially something that we greatly appreciate it and i didn't even get to name all his accolades at the beginning of the thing like this man's also the creator of the blue jean mile bro this man is the co-host of the Runners NYC podcast and everything everything uh, on top of that. But like, how did you get to this point, Chris? Like, I'm really just curious. You seem like you're kind of living the dream right now, but what was life kind of growing up for you? Like, 
what was that dream job for you as a kid and how was it like growing up wherever you did yeah so i mean i grew up born and raised in new york city so i'm a new york city guy through and through uh even though like right now we're recording this and i'm in chicago just for for a little bit but um i'll be back in new york but i uh it's funny because i grew up wanting to to be uh the new york yankees oh well first off i wanted to be the shortstop for the new york yankees or just even play for them jeter uh, yeah, I wanted to replace Cheater, and it's kind of like <laughs> the pipeline dream. And it's funny because Joey Barriatua from the Tin Man Elite like had that shared commonality with me when we uh. did, did the podcast recently. But I wanted to be a baseball player, but I didn't really play Little League much growing up because I was part of like this summer program where I sacrificed pretty much the prime athletic development years of my life from fifth grade to eighth grade to to just go and take classes and just kind of advance myself in math and English and all these kind of stuff so that. Mm. Uh, I could get a high school scholarship um, and attend one of these prestigious private high schools in, in New York City. And so, um, because some of these high schools are not available, like they're just a pipe dream for um, for a, you know a kid who comes from like a lower income family. Uh, my parents did not go to college here in the United States. They're both so I'm first generation uh, American here, and so uh, okay. for me, like that was it, it was education was always stressed as as being very important and so and, and coming first so I attended these summer programs didn't really play baseball and so um, got into Xavier High School it's an all-boys private high school in Manhattan um, on a good scholarship and so I went out and tried out for the baseball team and did not make it past like the first or second round of cut <laughs> so dream shattered immediately not playing for the New York Yankees ever uh, so I had to pivot and I was thinking all right so if I still want to like call Yankee Stadium my office like what how do I do that and so mm -hmm. it was like all right I guess I could cover the sport and like you know as a, either a broadcaster or, or a sports writer and you know this the school newspaper was a thing and so I decided to, to go for that started writing uh, and covering like high school like my high school sports and that and that sense and so um I was like all right media is going to be the way to, to to do this and and, and to get it to get to um being the New York Yankees beat writer someday um yeah and so kind of just, you know, put my head uh, and just like down and, and just continued writing a bunch. It's just funny because growing up, I didn't really like it and got to high school and that all sort of changed. And so um, at the same time, I was juggling that with being a part of the, the high school track team. Um, I was a sprinter. Like I was not a distance runner whatsoever. Um, and I was a very average sprinter. Like I, I don't I, I struggled for the longest time. I think it was my sophomore year is when I started breaking 30 seconds for the 200 like that was, that was the goal and now I do it fairly easy in practice and yeah. um but yeah so i mean like i was I'm very mediocre two 25 one is the is the proudest pr i have and that's for the 200 okay. uh cool um uh, maybe i'll take a shot at it one of these years i think soon enough my goal is going to be run a 200 that matches your age so for this year it'd be 27 i think i got that but anyway Oh, that's actually pretty hard. That's pretty hard. That's a good. That's a good challenge. It only gets easier, I think, down the road. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, got got to college. Decided I was going to study journalism, uh, and I went to Marquette, which is up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And for a New Yorker, like the Midwest was definitely new and and cold, so I had to adjust to that. And uh, yeah, soon after that, I think just took journalism classes, started writing for the school newspaper, and really you know, didn't pay too much attention to the fact of like, all right, uh, I still want to be New York Yankees beat writer. And then I started running again, 
to kind of just stave off the freshman 15 that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so then I started, okay, I can't do 200s anymore because, you know, my 25-1 doesn't get me a lane at these invitational meets or anything like that. So I have to, like, go up in distance. That means 5Ks. There's charity 5Ks all the time. Let's do it. And so just started running two, three miles a day, and that was fun. And I started, you know, enjoying it more. And I watched the New York City Marathon on TV, and I said, I want to do that someday. So slowly but surely started upping the distance and did a couple of half marathons. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's the running took off for me. And I started mm-hmm. light running which and distance running, which was odd because I was a sprinter maybe a year or two before that. And on a random Friday night in college, I just decided to stay in, not go out with my friends. And I stumbled upon, I was on Twitter and I stumbled upon a live stream from a flow track meet. And this was Oxy in 2012. And I remember watching that race. There's Dathan Ritzenheisen like crushes some 5k and he had been injured and he was like so happy and emotional about how well the race had gone that I was like, man, this is cool. Like that dude just ran like a 13 minute 5k. Yeah, I've, I've run 20 minutes. So like this dude <laughs> have a chance at like, crushing it at the olympics is what i thought and so i was like you know what this is going to be more interesting to me when i when london rolls around london 2012 because yeah i'll know more of the stories behind some of these athletes so i just started like really getting into the sport exactly going back watching old youtube races and then uh you know reading articles and past sports illustrated stories about some of these athletes and really just learning so that when the olympics rolled around i wouldn't just watch Usain Bolt for 10 seconds or 20 mm-hmm. seconds, call it a day, and then switch the channel. I'd watch all of the track action and know, I think, a little bit more about what was going on. And so um, I was hooked. And so then sort of I started realizing and, and, and looking at the way that the sport was being covered that uh, it really there, there wasn't too like too much of a newsbreaker in there in that. Like there was no Adam Schefter or yep. Adrian Wojciechowski. Yeah, exactly. For, for, for track. So I was like, this is a good avenue to try and carve out my sort of niche. Like if I started following the sport and reporting on it, uh, this could be it for me. And, uh, you know, I shot a DM to Ryan Fenton from Flow Track, And I said, Hey, you know, I am a journalism major at Marquette. I would love to cover the uh, Adidas Grand Prix, which took place in New York City. Um, I just wanted to go see these pros up close. Like I, I really didn't know who they were too much. Yeah. At that so I really, yeah, and this is only, this is eight years ago now. And, um, yeah, so I went and covered the meet and then I did a couple interviews there where it was interesting because, because I wasn't starstruck. This wasn't Derek Jeter standing next in front of me. If it yeah. was, yeah. I wouldn't be able to ask a question. Uh, <laughs> because I didn't really know who these people were. Like it was just normal. And we were having a conversation. So I showed them I could do interviews. I showed them I was like live tweeting the whole entire thing. Like this is all easy. Uh-huh. Stuff. And at that point, Flowtrack only had like 28,000 followers or whatever it was. So it was, it was still growing and video primarily video focused. And so after that meet, um, and I stayed in touch with some of the guys who, who ran the site and they asked if I would be down to go cover a cross country meet with them up in Madison, Wisconsin, so took a bus up, did it. And it was a lot of fun. And once again, I've showed them, I was like, I could do interviews. I could help you guys with the sort of the research um, that goes into the broadcast. And at the same time, I was like, also like I can help up sort of like the, the writing on your site. Cause it's so mm-hmm. video. 
and they hired this guy Mitch Kastoff, who was like a mentor to me. Um, and 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 I just came on sort of as a as a contributor, intern, whatever you want to call it, really, and just started growing the the writing on that site. And so now they have video, they have writing, and and I was in, and I was hooked. And so I sacrificed going to parties every weekend in college to instead get on a plane on Thursday nights, go to a track meet. Um, you know, and be there Friday, Saturday, come back to campus sometime on Sunday. Um, and that was just routine, whether it was Minnesota, whether it was California, Florida, like I was just traveling. And, you know, for a track fan, that does sound like a sort of dream come true. And I, it, I just so happened to catch it really early on. Like flow track wasn't that big and it was, it was growing at the time. And wow. so I grew sort of along with it. So kind of. And you're only 21. At that point, I was 19. Uh, 19. Yeah. Wild. And then, yeah, it, that summer rolls around. And, um, you know, I was, there's a very traditional way of going about sports media, and um, which is, you know, that's very old school, I would say, where yeah. it's, um, you go, you, you apply to all these internships, and you can go to like a small newspaper, let's say, in like your hometown or whatever, and spend the summer there, like covering whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe the next summer you go to a medium-sized newspaper. And then after that, you hope to go to an even bigger one or a magazine or stuff like that. And I was going to do that. I was going to go intern at the Salt Lake Tribune in Utah uh, the summer of 2013, oh. which think about it, like Utah in the summer, what sports are even going on? Like, I, I, like uh, aside from maybe the, the Jazz for a little bit, if they're having like a playoff run. And yeah. I like, I'd be covering the, the, the Salt Lake Bees, like the, the baseball team or whatever it was. And so that doesn't sound fun <laughs> to me. Um, what? Yeah. And so then at, at that point, Ryan, Ryan Fenton like offered me, he's like, hey, we have this opportunity every summer. We send an intern out to Europe to cover the track and field circuit out there. And uh, it's like, are you interested? It'd be like for a month or so. Um, and I was like, yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. And so yeah. uh, I passed on this opportunity to do it the traditional way. And I, and I went instead and I stayed with Flowtrack for the summer. And it was a risk because then you go back to school the following fall. And like that summer was amazing. You know, I got to go to a bunch of different countries, got to get in front of like Usain Bolt, which is amazing. And like just see like all, all the diamond leagues out there and, and how mm. this is covered and uh, make these relationships with athletes and coaches and agents that, that really helped me, I would say. Um, but then I go back to school and, you know, when it comes to the next round of applying to internships for the summer, my resume says flow track. And for some of these other places that I would apply to, they didn't really know what it was. And like, they, they were like, yeah. what and so um, I thought I took a risk and like, it didn't pay off where um, this, this uh, it was a fun summer, but career wise, like, I think I'm kind of stuck now, but ESPN, they, uh, I, I got an internship there the summer of 2014 through um, this thing called the Sports Journalism Institute, which is amazing. And like, they just take 13 students from across the country and their mission is to up the diversity in newsrooms, whether it's, you know, women, people of color. And so I got lucky because the summer before I rejected their internship to go to Salt Lake City. Um, but they saw some, they, they saw what I ended up doing instead and appreciated it, that the offer was there to now go to ESPN uh, summer 2014. And so once uh, I'm on campus in Bristol, Connecticut, I could see Stephen A. Smith um, in the cafe. crazy. Um, and it's like, we're yeah, filming this. Commercial. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> and, 
yeah so that was that was another really fun summer and, and that was a summer where i wanted to tap back into major sports so i covered some baseball i covered some soccer um and it, it was fun but i needed to I remember like diversify sort of like my portfolio when it came to covering sports and so mm. that was that was cool but my boss there was a was a big runner and so he liked what i was doing with running coverage that he was like you know your internship's over in august but if you stay on as a, as a, as a senior in college, you can cover the major marathons for ESPN.com. And so I started doing that. I was just writing, you know, New York, Chicago, Boston, London for ESPN.com as a senior. Um, so it was pitching profiles, previews and that kind of stuff. And so that was awesome. And so kept my foot in the door at, at ESPN. And, you know, by the time February rolls around, now I'm looking at graduation and what's going to come next. And, you know, I was very fortunate at the time to to have a job offer from ESPN. And, you know, I, I think in February, I was back in New York City and and met with some of the editors at Sports Illustrated. And soon after, by May, the time May rolled around, like I got a job offer there, too. So um, I was lucky uh, to, to have those cho- that choice. And so I went with SI because of their one, it's in New York and not Connecticut, and, I, and I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> and two, also because like they have a steep history and a rich history when it comes to covering mm-hmm. the Olympics. And at some point in 2012, after watching London from, from home and on TV, I said, my goal is to get to the next one. And I don't care wh- how it is, whether it's you know through covering it as a freelancer for like newspapers and, and paying my own way there. Uh, I want to be in Rio. And Knowing that I would be at SI, and if I showed them from 2015 to 16 that I was I was good at at covering track and other Olympic sports, then maybe there's a chance I end up on the SI Olympic team. And so, took the job, got right to work, and and you know just you know the grind paid off because then the following summer I'm in I'm in Rio crying during the opening ceremonies because you know this is a dream come true for me. And yeah. uh, it was yeah it was awesome. Uh, and now I've been at SI for five years. There's been some some rocky moments, I'm sure, with, with layoffs and all this kind of stuff. But you know, I'm still still standing and still sort of like trying to 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 give the sport a little bit more mainstream attention. And so it, that that's the longest answer you probably could have asked for. But <laughs> that was a great no. That was a great yeah. story though. I, I feel like yeah. I, we feel like we just listened to a whole movie. Like I was, I was reading you what could be a Wikipedia page, practically. <laughs> But I think it's cool, really cool too about your story is that like you're a sports, you are a sports fan that got into track and field because like yeah, me and Joshua similarly like we grew up though in, during track and field like our dad was a coach, we did club the whole nine, but like we come from a like a very big sports family, and I think that's people like sense that in like you know the media that that we we create, and I like what you said too about. How that when you started interviewing people like you didn't even know who they were so they were just like normal people that's and crazy. and that's what makes the best interviews and i would say with me and joshua it's like yeah we interview these people we know who they we know who they are but just being like athletes ourselves too it's like we we kind of just like get it and it just i guess also like watching watching espn and everything but no that's just that's just crazy. Like you just sound like somebody that you you wanted to do something, and you just really went after it, and you and you made it happen. And I feel like I feel like that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to do here. And I feel like that's just great advice to anyone listening. If you want to 
make something happen, you know, shoot that shot to that person. You just DM like, Ryan Fenton. Like, Ryan Fenton, he's a GOAT, by the way, too. He's the straight. Him and Alex Lohr are GOATs. Legends, yeah. And I got to work with him right from the start. And yeah, I, th I think to your point, I'd elaborate on that just saying sort of like, you know, when the question does get come up to me, it's like, well, you know, how did how did you get to this point? And like, what kind of advice would you have? For me, it's, it's always like I recognize that there was a component of luck there where I got lucky to to cash flow track at that time. I got lucky that the Sports Journalism Institute decided that it wasn't that I, me saying no to Salt Lake City wasn't like they're cutting ties with me totally. And so mm -hmm. I got lucky with those two senses and then, you know, uh, I recognize that for sure. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, the emphasis on, you know, chasing what it is that you want. I had so many people who I studied with in college who went into it also wanting to be sports writers, but then they've just kind of, because, you know, they didn't get the internship that they wanted, uh, they gave up on it. And I wouldn't want that for anyone. It's like, if you really want something, continue to chase after it. And when, when the advice I kind of like to give people is that, and you guys are doing it greatly, it's because you know, you don't know what reach you can have sort of on your own. If you want to write and cover the sport, but there's no, you know, there's no major outlet outlet that's taking sort of, you know, your pitches or, or your freelance stuff, then like, just do it for yourself. Just write to write and put it out there into the world because someone might come across it and, and, and really enjoy it. So whether it's that, so if you have that idea to start a podcast, go for it, do it because, you know, you don't know who's, uh, who, yeah. who listen to it and really like it. Um, so, and it's also about getting those reps in, you know, the more, uh, the smaller stuff you do, if you do a lot of it over time, you're going to get stronger and, and you're going to be able to handle some of that bigger, that bigger stuff. And so like, yeah, write, write just for yourself, write often, read a lot is, is my other thing too. It's, uh, that's how I sort of like tend to think that I can improve as a writer is just by going back and reading old sports illustrated stories and seeing how some of these writers used to do it. And also like think of like what question do they ask to get that sort of quote um and what are they doing stylistically to paint this picture and tell the story to a general sports fan um who is might just be reading this for the first time and not knowing who who this person is and so like yeah i mean continue to to, to plug away and it, it could pay off man what i realized aaron's are like we've been shooting we've been going in dms we've been shooting we i felt like we've been shooting threes but like <laughs> Chris, he's been shooting from half court, full court. Like, if, if it's swishing him, Steph Curry, turn up. around, turn around, bro. Just throwing it up. Like, it's crazy. Those things take luck sometimes. Not every shot's a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get lucky sometimes. Yeah, it is really crazy to just see to see that development and see that story. Thank you for sharing. Especially, I, I think it's going to help inspire. It's definitely going to inspire us to just keep on pushing on. But I think it's going to inspire some people too. Like you said, like if you have that dream, bro, just go for it. Like go for it. There's, and especially in a time like today, if you want to get in like media or like entertainment, there's so many outlets to where like you just, you, you can have the worst quality, but if you got something, you got the content, like put it out and you'll get better and better as time goes on. That's how I always feel. But then with that being said, bro, like how, what was the need that you saw with Sidious and like making that? What was the need in the running space? And just what is your, what is your goal for Sidious like moving forward as well? Like, I just really curious to be honest. Yeah. So that came about because, you know, I come back from the Olympics in 2016 
And I realized that this, this grind and this push that I really put myself through for four years, like it was worth it. It paid off. Like I got to the Olympics and I got to go with Sports Illustrated, which was amazing. Like I, and so that was a dream come true. And then I realized that from 2017 to 2020, there's four more years of work to put in now, but it do, I don't have to, you know, go as hard as I did because in those early years, 2012, 2013, I was going to small track meets and, you know, covering, covering them for full track and recognizing the fact that the Sports Illustrated reader um, and the person who, who follows uh, track through Sports Illustrated doesn't really pay attention to, you know, the Mount Sac relays or the Peyton Jordan or Florida relays. Um, yeah. And I didn't want to bug my editors with turning in like a 500 word story, or even a thousand word story, whatever it was about, you know, hey, here's what such and such person ran at the Florida relays. Like for them, that's a heavier lift. It doesn't drive as much traffic as maybe the site wants. Um, and so it, it's just more work for for crumbs i would say in the grand scheme of things for, mm-hmm. for illustrated audience and, and readers so i decided i had a writer's block and i was like i really want to continue to do this like i care about the sport enough that i watch you know the florida relays and and the peyton jordans and that kind of stuff and and there are stories to tell there and and there's still things for me to do um i can't just ignore it and so i teamed up with a bunch of buddies of mine to start Sidious Mag, which is an idea that I had to sort of like, all right, we have, you know, the let's run.com, which is you get all your headlines and, and news there just by going to, to the homepage, flow track, lots of workout videos, you know, they've got, you know, analysis and commentary and, and, and that's great and all. But then I was like, all right, you're missing sort of like the, the ringer sort of of running yeah, yeah. is you know, humor pop culture commentary and that kind of stuff within running. And so I figured, you know, I'm a big Bill Simmons fan. Uh, I love the way he's done podcasts and interviews for years. And and was like one of the best websites I think ever. Um, And so I have an appreciation for that sort of uh, media. And, you know, I kind of, you know, take plays out of his playbook constantly where it's like, okay, we're going to do the ringer, but for running is practically what it was. It would have came down to. Um, Mm. And so, Right out of the gates, we came out pretty hot with lots of, you know, humorous articles, that kind of stuff. We even, like, a Blue Jean Mile thing might have been, like, first year or two, which is my buddy Paul just wrote a, you know, a silly blog post about, like, all right, we need, Dragon Field needs a new gimmick. And then we had one person do it, and all of a sudden, this this thing takes off. And, like, in a way I never thought imaginable, but I realized that there was this sort of loyal audience that was craving sort of this this humorous side, this everyday runner side of, of, of the sport. Um because, you know, there, there's times where I can get a geek out and nerd out about all these stats and, the, and that kind of stuff. And, and the Sports Illustrated reader wouldn't really appreciate that. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll do my thing here and, and, and do it for, for Sidious. And so when I need to geek out, when I have sort of takes and commentary and that kind of stuff, I'll write it for, for Sidious. And, that, and then, you know, the podcast came along where... You know, I was like, all right, Simmons has a podcast every week where it's just a laid back conversation with with people he finds notable and interesting. Let's do the same exact thing for running. And so launched that. And then over time, like it's definitely expanded in terms of just like now we we've got, I think, six or seven or maybe even more than that. I think podcasts in the in the Sidious Mac podcast network. And, you know, these are all ideas where, you know, we're, we're taking plays from from a different from from the Simmons playbook in a, in a way. Um but it's it's paid off, and so where do I see it going? Like, 
down the road is, um, you know, acknowledging that, you know, this fan base is super loyal um, and engaged yeah. for sure. Um, so it's adhering to sort of like those principles and like, uh, I, I feel like it's always like the people who read like Once a Runner and that kind of stuff where they give the sport like an honest shot and are going to take it as far as they can. I think that's who our audience is. And so um, there's an intersection of, you know, running culture on the New York City level, which is something that I focused on too. Um, just the professional side of things, like all of that comes together on this site. And so um, I think we've definitely leaned more heavily into podcasts recently um, and scaled back, I think, a bit on the writing. For sure, down the road, it'd be something I'd love to, to bring back. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where it goes because I, I think I just need more time to, to, devo- to devote to it. I edit all of the podcasts. So uh, if it's Dana Giordano's show, I, or show, I edit those, the, those on the side. So for me, it's you know, working a full Sports Illustrated day and then mm-hmm. after that, going for a run. And then after that, it's it's getting to work on. All right, we're going to put out this podcast tomorrow. I got to record this stuff, and so um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of behind the scenes work. If I had more manpower, um, I'm sure we'd be doing a lot more. If I had more time and like the outreach for sponsors, I'm sure there'd be more money coming in too. And that's another part of it too. That's a little tricky. It's like you know, I'm plugging away here, and and it's like I'd love for there to be more of a return on of inve- on in the investment, like financially, but um, yeah. At- as people keep reading and listening and that kind of stuff i will continue doing it because there's no more rewarding feeling i think that i've had since then you know being at a marathon expo or a race somewhere and and someone says hey I, I listen to the podcast um and i really enjoy it and like thank you so much or whatever that kind of stuff like yeah it's it, it's a little weird uh, still but you know i appreciate that kind of stuff and and that's the reason why i continue to do it so it's, it comes down to it being a labor of love. And so um, we'll see where it goes. I mean, for sure, uh, um, I'm having fun doing it. I don't have any intention of stopping. And, you know, that was another thing, too, is like during the pandemic, um, like sponsors pull out or want to put a freeze on on sort of like, uh, hey, you know, money is going to be tight. And, you know, you understand that for sure. Um, and I decided, you know, I'm going to keep doing this podcast even without like a sponsor for like two months because you don't want to lose that momentum. And that's something yep. you guys did great where it was like, you know, all these races and stuff and the plans that you had to get out there are, are, are canceled. But if you if you just put a full stop to it, then you're going to lose that momentum. And I think that's something that I, I was like, you got to keep going and you guys are, are, are continuing to do it. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's I, it's still in its infancy, I would say. I, it's only mm. been years uh since the site started so um we'll see where it goes but but you know i enjoy it yeah and i i feel like that like i feel like track and field fans are special and i feel like there is so much potential um with our sport by how underdeveloped it is in the media space but i just wanted to say too like i don't know if there'd be running report without city of smag i i recall like a year or so ago, I was yeah. picking up Joshua. This is when he was at Northridge. And he was just starting to do like, you know, running report videos. And we were talking and he was like saying like, we were talking about like, man, like I would love to like, you know, like create like a website, like like the Bleacher Report of like running. And it's like very, I, I just relate to your story so much because it was the same thing with us. It was like, we love listening to Jalen and Jacoby. We love all the smoke. Like the there's all these- they want. Yeah, there's all these sports podcasts that we listen to, and we were like, man, like, 
I, if this was in track and field, like that would be so awesome. And Sidious Mag, though, you guys were the first ones, like Flow Track and Runner Space, they've always been around, but you were like the first person really to create like a complete alternative that is in other sports, but not in track and, in track and field, something that's not traditional. And I think we're seeing it a lot right now um, with just like the YouTube running influencer explosion that's happening. And I think that, you know, in the long run, like the work you put in, you're putting in is going to pay off. Well, I think that's like another part of it, too, is just the fact that um, we want I think another component to it was just adding personality to the people telling these sort of stories like people know who the two of you guys are. People know who I am. But it's sort of like I was thinking about that where it's like when I just used to do Sports Illustrated for a while, like I, I'm writing these stories. I'm constantly on Twitter, you know, doing news updates and that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, you go to a story and then you, you get it. But beyond seeing my name at the top, like you don't really know who I am. And I think having this podcast and, and Sidious Mag has allowed people to to get to know me better and um, know that I'm not just sort of like this nerd who, who geeks out on, on, yeah. on all <laughs> Kind of stuff like there's some personality to me like uh, some people might know me as the legs are feeling good guy like that's that's kind of like just the funnier side to, to things and so um yeah and sort of at the same time like it, back you know in the days when i was at flow track people knew ryan and alex from run junkie and that kind of stuff and so that yeah, was yeah. that was some great personality to to the sport and so yeah there needs to be i think more of that for sure um because you know it makes it it makes the conversations better when you know, now people can appear on my podcast and they know me as, you know, it's going to be a laid back, fun conversation. I'm not going to be out there to get, you know, doping questions and that kind of stuff and like really, yeah. really like punch at you. So it's like uh, for a gotcha moment, like that's not me. Uh, I'm definitely more about, hey, let's let's chop it up for an hour and this will be fun. I think like no matter what, people are going to enjoy hearing from you. And so that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of like, added personality to it is also like another component to to i think sort of like the early success if you would call it of of the site yeah it's really it really is great bro and especially like the personalities i feel like that's definitely like a key that we wanted and especially like we have like this running report like type show that's definitely more like espn like and me and aaron like go in there and argue it's almost like Stephen a and max kellerman on there as we like yell at each other at times but like I think playing it up is definitely like a part of uh, a part of like running it, something that's definitely missing. And we're really excited just to see where Sidious is going to go. We're excited to see where running reports going to go. Excited to see where just running in general is going to go from years on out because I think it's definitely on the upswing in the running space. But I want to get into some of this recent track news. I think we're definitely going to need you need you to come back on to explain more of your story because it's it really is crazy and we're gonna need you like i don't think we're gonna get to all the recaps that i wanted to but we have to talk about in world record day this past what two days ago in valencia we have to talk about that with you because literally just insane joshua shep the guy ran a 26 11 in the 10 gate and then the testament good day ran 1406 in the 5k like what was first off what was just your what's your just initial thoughts initially just from the whole world record day with chef the guy and good day destroying the 5k and 10k world records yeah because it's like at the very beginning of 2020 if you would have told me like hey uh at the end of this year kenanisa bikaili is not gonna have you know any more world records <laughs> like, not gonna win the london marathon and sarah yeah. second i would have been like you're 
crazy. Uh, yeah. so, uh, that's all that's all happened in the past week. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, watching that, it was super impressive because, you know, he ran the second 5K of it totally solo. He ran it 1307-03. It was just ridiculous. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, you kind of have to, I mean, you know, I hope to God he's clean. Um, that's like the first instinct that like everyone sort of like has. It's like, you really hope that what you're watching is is, is real and, and believable. Um, mm. so to get that out of the way, yeah. I mean, I the way I watch track and I see these performances, it's, you know, I, you, that doping and that kind of stuff stays in the back of your head and like in, in the subconscious, cause you know, it's been so prevalent in the sport for, for years. But I feel like if you constantly uh, focus and, and, and watch these things and, and think like, oh, this, this person is juiced up and, and like they, they're, they're cheating. Like there's, you're not going to enjoy the sport. So it ruins uh, it. Yeah, and sort of keeping that innocent until proven guilty sort of like thing. I know it's not yeah. or whatever, but you know, that's there's, I enjoyed watching it. It was, it, cause it was just crazy to me. Like to think this guy ran 1307, 1303, zero rest in between. And it's, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that was impressive. The women's 5k was also impressive because today, you know, you think about it, she was a silver medalist at the world championships last year. That means that there yeah. was, who beat her last year and has the potential to be better. So I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg of what is going to possibly be like the women's 5k world record going down multiple times over the next, you know, couple years, because, you know, people thought it was crazy when Shelby Houlihan, maybe a couple um, months back said, you know, sub 14 and it's like, what? But it, it could be possible the right women in the same exact race. And now with these, these lights paid and also the shoes you get all these components together people are going to run fast and so um i thought this was just another step forward and just sort of seeing uh the next step of of where the sport's going i was thinking too that like i really feel like you know that men's 10k record is crazy and it's impressive but with that girl's 5k the 1406 i feel like that record is yeah we have so much more to find out about how fast women can run in the 5k and i feel like that about a lot of the women's events like they really we really haven't pushed that envelope athletically yet like you know the women's marathon record out of nowhere just became 214 or what's in the going Olympics, on bro when the girl in the 10k ran 29 17 it was just like wait what they could run that fast and now going 1406 it's like it's like we are just like getting there there's also such a big gap when you say like you know you got 1406 but like the college girl runs 1505 1507 like that's insane you know so i think there's just so much more room to grow on the women's side and you know with like people like Dababa running 350 stefana son running 351 and then she wins the 10k too like the <laughs> the 5k I, I definitely see them going under 14 like at some point in the next five to seven years for sure yeah and you know it was proven last year i mean when you just have two really impressive athletes going head to head i mean it was the women's 400 meter hurdles like it was Dalil mm -hmm. muhammad and sidney mclaughlin like the Dalil muhammad broke the world record at usa's but you knew that coming up at worlds everything was going to be you know aligned for her to really peak there and so if you get and sidney mclaughlin must have been pissed that that that, that <laughs> get it so like 
the two of them going head to head on the biggest stage, like, and and knowing they're both peaking for this, they're gonna push each other to that world, to the world record, and they could get traded off here and there for for years to come. So, like, yeah, I mean, just it's that perfect example. You get people to to race, and they're in peak shape. It's gonna work out. Yeah, especially in our 400 meter hurdles, there's also just a whole bunch of American girls to go along with that with Shamir Little, Ashley Spencer, and then Corey Carter, shout out, she's going to be there too. Corey Carter, I hope Corey, you're listening right now. Corey's going to be there. She's going to be there. There's one more thing we got to talk about in the running that I feel like this is a real conversation that should be like on top of the message boards on Let's Run. I haven't checked Let's Run in like two days, but it should be there. Like what was the best dual record performance do you think from this year so far? Because like thinking Chep the guy in good day, 5K, 10K world record, and then Far and Hassan with the, both with the hour world records, and then Mohamed and Shelby Houlihan with the 5K Canadian world, 5K Canadian national record, and the U.S. 5K uh, women's 5K record. Like, what do you think was the best dual record performance between those three? I think that's a real conversation that needs to be had. Uh, I think. I'm gonna go check the guy three for three uh, on world records. Like he, he just he had the road 5K, he had the track 5K, and then he had like the um, the the track 10K. And the fact that those records stood for 15 and 16 years, like on on the track for owned by Bekele, like that just proves those were tough. And you know I wouldn't have thought years ago when I see Joshua check the guy running practically going backwards during world cross country, like that's the guy who's gonna break the world records but um yeah i think like he's just a pure talent where even a year ago when mo farah says i'm gonna go back to the track because uh i feel like i have a better metal shot or whatever it was he at the 10k as opposed to the marathon you gotta mm. wonder it's like man i kipchoge just lost so he shows he's beatable am i making the right decision or should i just stick to the marathon or go back to the track you know no one is beating joshua chapter guy right now that's what I've been telling Aaron for the past couple weeks, past couple months. Farrar won't medal. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he'll medal, bro. I got, I got, I got him meddling still. He's just so nice in the clutch moments. I, I still, I can't, I can't go without, yeah. I mean, he did beat Bekele's records. And like, honestly, like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I didn't think if I was going to live to see Bekele's records really go down, to be honest. Like, at least not this early in my life, because those records are in, are insane. So it's crazy impressive. But I still got to say, like, Mofar is a two, a double-time, like, two-time Olympic champion, 5K, 10K. And there's something to be said about, you know, he has won on the biggest stage before. But I'm just saying, you can't. He's old. <laughs> He's old. He, is, he is getting old. Father like time undefeated. You can't sleep on Mo. I still think he, he has a better chance in the 10K than, than the marathon. Like the marathon has a ton of hitters in it too, and he's just so he's so new to the marathon. To be honest, compared to some of these other guys. Yeah, I, you know I'm gonna I'll I'll, I'll I'll throw off a hot take and I say he doesn't medal in any of any event in 2000. In any event, I don't Dang. think. So. I don't know. Disrespectful. <laughs> it's That's life. Low. I love, I love Mo, bro. I love, we gonna get Mo. We're rooting for him, though. We're definitely rooting. But I gotta root for Joshua more, bro. We got the same name. You guys have got the same birthday, too, Aaron. It's basically, he got two black runners in him. 
Joshua, you guys got you got the same birthday, September twelfth. Like it's you you realize that you might never you will never be the fastest Joshua in the world. <laughs> <laughs> For real though, hey, it's a strong name. I understand. I understand. It's <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not possible to be honest. But with that being said, bro, I want to get more into these running questions. But I know we got we gotta get you out of here. Oh, actually, I'm good. I'm good on time. We can let's roll with it, and this is fun. I right. rolled it. All right, yeah. bro. We we gonna dive in for the next hour. Then honestly, but also, <laughs> as we keep on talking about Joshua Chep, the guy, like he's been unstoppable this season. And another person, another kid that has been c- going crazy is Mono Duplantis, twenty years old. Broke the indoor world record in the pole vault. Broke the outdoor world record in the pole vault. 16 straight wins, undefeated in 2020. Best pole vaulter of all time. And he's only 20. He's born in 1999. That's insane. Like, who had the better season first off? Mono Duplantis or Joshua Cheptegai? I know we're talking about Cheptegai a lot, but I think this is a question that, like, who's the uh, athlete of the year? I don't know. Mono Duplantis or Cheptegai? What are you guys thinking? Man. That's a good one. That's a good question. I think Mondo winning so much and like so many more opportunities probably gives him yeah. an edge. And like I think that's something that the people who like run like IWF like Athlete of the Year would take into consideration is the fact like oh yeah I mean like he's been so dominant. And I think like the competition is much tougher for Mondo where it's like uh, who is it Sam Kendricks you know Ronaldo mm-hmm. like those people are they're the world champs and Olympic uh, gold medalists. Yeah. Like, I think. Um, they have the upper hand. Uh, he might have the upper hand. Although, I just remembered my but my buddy Tim just rem- uh, like made me remember World Half Marathon Championships were coming up. So, uh, yeah. Chep, the guy has like one more shot. If he now if he breaks the half <laughs> record at the um, championships, like and wins gold, that and then I guess like you might have to give it to him. But um, yeah, I guess he crazy. has one more opportunity. So. Yeah, we might have to wait like another week or two to, to decide uh, who gets the crown. But it, I think there's 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 a strong case to be made for both. My only thing with Mondo is like, I mean, chapter guy too, he's only like, what, 27, 26? But mm-hmm. Mondo being 20 years old and being the best ever, ever. really. like All time. Goat. That's insane. That that's that's just the craziest part for me. I mean, I feel like Chep the guy, yeah, he didn't really have an opportunity to get sixteen, you know, straight wins. But those so world Mondo, records Mondo messes up my favorite thing about the pole vault is that like if you allowed gambling in track, the pole vault would be like the most fun uh, event to probably gamble on because it's like roulette. It's red or black. Do they clear it? Yes or no. And yeah. Mondo, Mondo ruins that because he's so good that he'll always clear it. So it's like yeah, did, is Mondo going to clear this this jump? You got to put your money on yes. And what's and then, exciting about him is that he's going to be around like for a minute, for a long time, for yeah. at least another ten years. And he, and if he just stays like dominant like this, he could be like a you know like a Michael Phelps type of athlete. Yeah, and I just was able to talk to my assistant coach at Mount Sac. He is an Olympic, he's he's the national record holder for Mexico in the pole vault. So I just got to talk to him in our recent video that's going to be up by the time this podcast come out. It should be up. If it's not up, that's on me. But it should be up. And he was just saying, like, he thinks Mondo's going to jump, like, 21 feet and all that. He thinks that he's going to just go even higher and higher and the sky's the limit. But what do you guys think how the pole vault's going to look like in the next couple of years if Mondo keeps on 
vaulting this high because i was thinking going into tokyo 2021 at the beginning of this at the beginning of this year when he was breaking those indoor world records like mondo is going to be the face of the olympics for track and field if he was able to go out there break the world record at the olympics i really felt like he could have stole the show in a lot of ways and been a new like face that we look to because he's already popular in the states going to lsu and everything like that how do you think he can change the face of the pole vault for the next couple of years I mean, having like a younger face and someone so dominant definitely is going to like NBC is going to find a way to package it really nicely and like really put it out there. Um, and he'll be a, a name for sure. But I think like to to the point with when it comes to rolling around for the Olympics, like the hundred still dominates, I think. And that's what people love mm -hmm. to, to watch. So like in this case, maybe Christian Coleman ends up like being like a, like a strong, a very popular face from it. If he's not suspended. Um, and oh, should have used the dash, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and bro. Then, yeah. I and mean, Lenoa Lyles is going to really light it up. I think the sprints yeah. still, uh, gravitate toward like, I think the, the public's, um, more favorable events because the shorter attention span to, to pay attention to a, a sport that you don't really watch until every four mm. years. Um, but Mondo, yeah, I mean, what, what's 20 meters? Is that like in the conversation? I think like it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I think he needs to, I think that if he, if he used his USA citizenship and, and yeah, did pole for the US, mm. I think he'd be a way bigger star, especially like if he's at the Olympics, you know, about to break the Olympic record or the world record, like I think they would make him a way bigger face if he was if he was for the U.S. for sure. And yeah, yeah I don't think he's gonna, he can't reverse course on it now. But like, yeah, yeah you know what I mean, to your point, it would it, it would be a much bigger deal if he was competing as an American. But um, still, major props to him. And then as we saw that rise, that continual rise of Mono Duplantis and really just go off this year, we also saw the rise of YouTube running. This is kind of switching paces and seeing the success of the Athlete Special, then Ben Crawford and his guys, and Zach Levitt, Seth James Damore, and all these people. I want to just go to Chris. Like, Do you feel like YouTube running and what these people are doing, do you think it's sustainable in the long term? And do you think we're going to be seeing runners on YouTube and stuff on YouTube for years to come? So I think we're getting our first taste of it, sort of with the Spencer Brown experiment that like Brooks is doing, because you know this is them putting their money behind one of these uh, major YouTube stars. And um, Spencer is an OG Sidious Mag contributor. He, <laughs> uh, when I'm pretty sure he had less than a thousand subscribers when I stumbled upon his YouTube and I said to him, I was like, hey man, like you cool with uh, you know posting your uh, videos to our site like we're we're gonna just get off the ground too and so um i'm a fan of, of these videos i think they're hilarious and so um very early on i think i spotted spencer as like this kid has you know bring something cool to, to the sport it's a little bit um funny real and uh th I, I love that about him and so i also had him i think like uh, the podcast you guys did and the one i put out with him like came out like i think a week apart but um yeah he's got an awesome story and so running youtube is an interesting space because like it's still not oversaturated i would think like there's mm -hmm. still there's more personalities there and there's still room for more people to, to come into it and what they're doing is is interesting and it'll be i'm curious to see like how it translates with brooks because it's like are you thinking of uh, that spencer is going to sell you know whatever it is x amount of shoes 
um, for like this investment to pay off, or is it more about pushing this brand out to 50,000, um, you know, YouTube subscribers? And I think that's kind of it. Like the fact that you can try and hook 50,000 kids that view these videos every single week, um, yeah. it's gonna be big. And so we'll see like what other brands start to do and, and who they try and link up with because um, it's the first domino I think that will fall. And you have to also think if you're a pro athlete, this is another way to market yourself. And so exactly. it's finding maybe, you know, try it uh, because, you know, you like I guess to the point in the that we made earlier is like, you just don't know if it's going to hit or not. Yeah. And I, I like what, what they're doing too, because it's what we've been talking about all podcasts, like Brooks, um endorsing inspiring him uh, endorsing him is they're putting effort to show more personality in in the sport and moving forward like i was even thinking like let's say like he runs for them for like six or something years like, you know when he's done running like he's probably gonna be you know one of the head dudes on their marketing team because ultimately that's what he's doing he's feeding them all these new ideas to market um to all these high schoolers and all these different people and getting more people into the sport but i also wanted to ask you like what do you think about because there's these youtube stars but with covid affecting you know the whole track season we got to see like the big friendly and that was just live on live on youtube i mean even just recently in in they decided to just do a whole thing a world record attempt on youtube and they got viewership do you see like that being something that we see in the future for maybe more like mid-level elite like an oxy distance carnival kind of like kind of like going away from the flow track model and people kind of taking things into their own hands yeah it could be interesting to see and it all depends on just like what resources and what sort of budget people are working with um i just kind of always remember that was a thing because you know there's also sometimes rights uh behind these these races and so um these media companies pay the universities to to broadcast some of these meets and in other cases the universities pay you know the, the media companies to put on these meets so if you cut that out i mean yeah maybe you have more more things like what portland track Fest, uh the portland track uh is doing um so it's interesting because, but yeah in a way you want your event to have the most sort of exposure um mm -hmm. and it's we're with the times that we have now it's very easy for a fan to just be in the stands and pull out instagram and then go live from there so it's like that live component isn't as popular as it as and as hot of a commodity i think as it was maybe seven or eight years ago because anyone could go live nowadays um but it's just sort of like the quality uh it, it all depends on what kind of quality you want to put out for, for your product so um yeah it's interesting i'm curious where it goes next year i think you know the NBC still ponies up billions and millions of dollars to have yeah. you know, Diamond League and, and the Olympics, so that's not going to change. Um, but maybe for some of these these smaller meets, it does change. You know, um, putting it out there if there's meets out there who can patch in audio. You know, the, you know, the three of us could be really good commentators for some of these meets. Uh, hey, so I don't know. Let it. I don't yeah, know. Put it out there. You know, I'm available to do some play by play. I got my first taste of it actually, like last week. Uh, we. We did our first like live broadcast on Sidious Mag uh, from on YouTube, and so it was my first time in four years doing announcing, and I was like, and it was so much fun, uh, and I'd do it again. And so I've got that itch. So if the opportunities present themselves, I'm available. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm totally down. I was able to uh, announce a high school, uh, a high school 
dual meet before covid before covid hit one of my friends hit me up and i was gonna do all their dual meets and then everything hit and i was like dang i don't get to do that this year it definitely been something cool to do but then also speaking on youtube i do, definitely youtube is the future and i feel like especially for the running community just how grassroots running is and how the tight the communities can be on youtube i think youtube running is going to go far there especially but speaking of youtube speech speaking of the kids what was these these high schoolers were going crazy in 2020 from nico young just going for that 3k record but before that at when he was running that mill rose indoors in the 3k then leo dashback breaking the mile the, the breaking for the uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry then leo dashback breaking the four minute barrier in the mile then arian knighton just 16 years old running like 20.2 number four in the world when he ran that just what was what rising star are you most excited for at that high school level that's either going to college or still in high school right now yeah i want to see what nico young does at nau because i mean he's going to be in really good hands you know with coach mike smith um he that's a program that historically thrives in cross country and that's something that he's super strong at um i'd love to see what uh leo dashbaugh does because you know, breaking four as a high schooler is not, uh, it, more kids are doing it recently, but it's still a very prestigious thing. And, you know, I got to do a story on him for Sports Illustrated back in May, whenever he pulled off that race. Mm -hmm. because, um, and I found it interesting because, you know, it's COVID, like there's no races right now. How did this whole meet come about? And so that was, that was a cool story uh, to do. So yeah, those two guys, I think are at the top of my list of like, let's see how they pan out. Hey, shout out Matt Strangio for fitting on the COVID Classico. <laughs> but I would say for me, the two I'm really interested in really is um, Caitlin Tui because we, you know, I feel like we see every couple years we see a, a girl like her who is just like a phenom and it's like, it's honestly like make or break when they go to college. So I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. And then the new emerging star, uh, Renhart Harrison, you do training with 10 men, training with training with Drew, Drew Hunter's coach. Um, I wanna see like, is this guy, he almost broke four as like a 16 year old? Like, yeah. is this gonna be uh, Inger, it's possible he's a better Drew Hunter, is he an Ingerson kid? Like, you know, like he's already basically getting trained like a pro, so. I'm interested to see what he's going to do with his junior and senior year. Oh, you know who actually, you know, I'll, I'll change my answer. The person I want to keep the most tabs on as they go to college, Ating Mu. I think she's brilliant for this sport. Um, yeah. What she did yep. in the crazy. Uh, and like, I feel like we forgot about her because she probably, she didn't, doesn't really run um, as much cross country and like the indoor season was, was also a wash. And, uh, so like, yeah, we can't forget about her, I guess, going into her freshman year at Texas A&M. So I'll put her at the top of my list. <laughs> I, I, I love the potential she has. Bro, 800 you. Yeah. But she's beast. She's definitely has the right potential. I feel like to be dominant, but I'm definitely teaming tabs on Arion Knighton. That was just so out of the blue with that 20.2 that he ran at the AAU Junior Olympics. Like, I didn't even know there's going to be an AAU Junior Olympics. And this kid really came out of nowhere at 16 years old. Like, I don't even know if this kid can drive a car yet. Like, he's, he's, he was born in 2004. Like, that's just insane that he was number four in the world in the 200. That's really, like, something crazy. And I think he and he said that he's all he plays football, but he's all about track. So that's one of the best things that I definitely heard from the track world in 2020 to see see someone like that. 
he really surprised me this year but what was one of the biggest surprises in 2020 for you if it was from an athlete or just a story that broke loose like what was the biggest surprise that you've seen so far from this year I'm still shook Elliot Kipchoge lost a marathon I didn't think that was going to happen I thought the man would just retire with like a with a near perfect record because you know only one other person had beaten him but um, so I'm still a little shaken by that because he's the GOAT and he always will be the GOAT to me. So I think <laughs> it, it, it's, I'm still a little, yeah, shaken by Kipchoge losing a marathon. It's going to, I mean, the thing was like, you would think it's the marathon. It's a crazy event. Uh, it's hard. Uh, you could have a off day and mm. things don't go your way. But I just didn't think that was possible uh, for Kipchoge and I guess he is limited. I mean, we. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, I thought Bekele would. I thought if anyone was gonna beat him, it was gonna be Bekele. But I don't even say for me. Like I'm just a big Bekele fan too. So like to see his records go down, bro. Like that shook me. I'm just like, what? The 5K and the 10K are gone, and he didn't even get to go for it at London. I was like, dang, Bekele, I'm like, am I getting old, bro? Like, Bekele has no more records? Yeah. Like, that's insane. Like, Then for me, I'm going to go a little bit different route. In the beginning of this year, in the indoor season at Milrose, when Ella Perrier knocked off that that 416, wasn't that, that was a world record, correct, in the, in the indoor mile? American, that was really, yeah. American record. That really just, like, blew me, like, turned me around. I was like, wow, the girls, I think that's, like, the first the first sign of just live this year of like the women are just getting faster and faster and faster. And there's so many women in like the mid distance and distance events that, and now that the American women are becoming more and more competitive, it just makes it really interesting. And I know she didn't have the best performance at like the U S championships, like two weeks after that. But like, I really think she's going to be, she's, she's going to make it interesting for Shelby Houlihan and Jenny Simpson, like for sure. When it comes to the 15. She did a new balance spikes too. True. Yeah. 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 It's, Bro, it's it's exciting. That world again, like just to go back, like that world record for the women's indoor, I think it's like four thirteen, four thirteen or four twelve. Like, bro, I'm I'm yeah. telling you, I think a girl, I think girls can go under four ten, and I don't know. I just feel like because if if Debaba ran a three fifty, bro, like there, someone's gonna break three fifty one day. I could see a woman one day running like three forty nine, three forty eight. Like I think indoor, it should be faster than it should be faster than the world record should be faster than what it is. I, I think a girl could definitely run four eleven, four ten, maybe even four oh nine. I wish we had a downhill mile to, to throw in here. I was like, all right, let's look, women, <laughs> let's go for sub four. <laughs> That'd be crazy, dude. three fifty, she could probably run a sub four, a sub four downhill mile, or she's gonna be close. Really close, and then just go out there and 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 run downhill until your quads break. <laughs> <laughs> that would be definitely intense. And as we start to close out this recap, a little bit more just like serious, hard hitting. Because when COVID really, really hit, I didn't think there was going to be. We had a great indoor season. I feel like the indoor season was exciting, but once there was no indoor uh, world championships, I felt like, dang, the NBA closed everything starts postponing i'm all like track track is track is over the olympics were in jeopardy just but i also felt like there was also a lot of great things for track and field as the athletes started forming like we we are the way i'm saying we are the sport and everything like that trying to be trying to 
create sort of like a union for track and field athletes. Just like, how did you, what was your initial reactions when COVID first hit? And like, did you have the same thoughts of the track season as you did then at the beginning that you still do have now? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised we, they were able to pull off some of these diamond league meets. Um, you know, I was talking actually to the Monaco meet director, uh, not too long ago. And, you know, I gave him major kudos. I was like, I can't believe you guys got, you know, people from, you got Donovan Brazier to come from the United States. You got mm. uh, Timothy Chariot to come from Kenya uh, and you guys pulled it off. Like it, major props to, to you guys. And so I was surprised in that sense that that all came together. Um, I still think we're a ways away from, you know, returning to any sort of normalcy when it comes to the sport. Like, Sure, I guess there are some cross-country races happening, but um, we still really, even though it's been six months of, of COVID, uh, more than that, actually, um, we are still learning stuff about just kind of the virus and all that, where how easily or how not easily does it get transmitted, you know, when you're running behind someone and, and they're breathing really hard. And so um, you really we, we really don't know, I guess, like what the cross-country season um, is is doing to, to some of these people, like how many positive cases we're getting out of this kind of stuff. So because Vin Lanana, I think the USATF president, I guess, like mentioned it to me in an interview, I think we did months ago, where it's like, how do you socially distance a cross country race? And so that's still a question that I'm, um, I'm, you know, trying to come to terms with as I'm watching some of these clips mm-hmm. that I do on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then like, the major marathons, they're not they're not happening till next fall, practically. Boston is the only one on the calendar for April, but I'm thinking that's going to get postponed at some point uh, to September. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're a ways away from being – I see photos of the New York City Marathon, and I'm like 50,000 people, uh, you know, on the – A lot the, of people. On, on, like, the Verrazano Bridge, and, and, and I'm like, that doesn't look uh, like – I, I, I get a little bit of anxiety sort of, like, seeing it now because – that's not, it doesn't feel safe right now. And so when do we get to that comfortable point? I don't know. Uh, but do I miss it? Absolutely. And so that's kind of like where uh, my head is sort of at with the sport. Do I think the Olympics are going to happen next summer? I'm a little bit more positive than, than some people who would outwardly say no, because I need to look forward to sort of like the Olympics happening next summer uh, in order to just kind of like, I don't know, keep something down the road to, to, to really be positive. Yeah, I think that a lot of what we saw this year is a preview of how things will be run for probably like the next two years. I think we're just figuring it out with like those diamond with those diamond league meets. However, they got people transported there and tested. And even with some of these like, yeah, YouTube meets, I think I think we're going to find a way to create maybe even you know, some type of bubble in the Olympics, but will there be fans at the Olympics? Like, yeah, I don't know. An Olympics without fans would really suck, I think. And it's bad for the athletes too while they're there. So um, I hope that there's fans in some capacity. I don't know if there'll be fans from all around the world, maybe just from Japan. Like, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be weird and there's still a lot of questions we need to figure out. Yeah, I think there definitely is going to be a bubble. The NBA pulled it off. The they already got the Olympic Village. Let's just no one can leave. No one can leave. You can't you can't visit around Tokyo. I think that's what's going to end up. I think that's what's going to end up happening. But I, I I'm really I'm ex, I'm really surprised just how 
how track was able to pull off all this stuff because I didn't see this happening. And I'm surprised that cross country is still going on in some states, but uh, we're definitely going to, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how COVID really develops over the next couple, next couple months. And also speaking of COVID in the middle of this whole entire COVID season, then seeing the, like the social unrest we we didn't get to see the athletes running as much as we usually do, but there was a lot of lot of like activism towards towards that with many ath- athletes standing up and speaking their voice from Noah Lyles to Jasmine Todd, Rebecca Mara, Mantio Mitchell, and the list can go on and on and on. Just what was your initial reaction to see athletes from all races, creed, and gender really come up and like speak on these issues? Yeah, it's different than, you know, the NBA because you saw the Bucks walk out of a playoff game and then it just leads to, uh, it's, a, it's a team showing a united form of, of protesting. And mm-hmm. in track, how, how, what does that look like when it's a very individual sport? Um, and can you still accomplish getting that message across? I think that was a question that I had at the very beginning of seeing all of this transpire. And so... Um, you know, I think Noah Lyles raising his fist at the Monaco Diamond League was was a was a powerful sign. Um, you know, the attention that Gwen Berry has gotten uh, for her protests and now finally feeling understood and, and that message that she was able to put out last year, I think that was uh, that's been another plus that's come out of all of this. But I don't think we're anywhere near done seeing um, the the end of athletes protesting that sort of line that people like to put between sports and politics is gone um like it's especially when trump is calling someone like lebron james like this was just today he called lebron james like a hater and like and all this kind of stuff and it's like you can't this guy's not leaving politics out of sports and so it's like why should the athletes and so um yeah you'll see more of it and i hope that with the, the ioc you know the, the the they do change rule uh 50 with uh, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah yeah protesting at the olympics um i hope that does change because this is the moment these athletes are working so hard for and the stage that they want to be on and they deserve every right to express whatever's on their mind so uh when i covered the 2016 olympics the moment that i think stayed with me actually came on the last day when when Kaisa Lalisa raised his uh, arms in protest of the Ethiopian yeah. government and then feared for his life afterwards, um, it shows that protests, you know, can take place. And like he, they threatened with like uh, taking his medal away or just reminding him what the rules were uh, before he took the stage at the closing ceremonies because he pro- he planned on doing the same exact protest there, but um, he, he didn't end up doing it at the closing ceremony. Um, but his message was loud enough where he was heard. And, and then eventually over time, there was, um, you know, there was change sort of seen in the Ethiopian government and his story got out to the masses. And that's what I think was important. And so I want that for more athletes. And so when these athletes are having sort of the discussions behind the scenes, which was something that I believe it was Will Clay or Michael Norman mentioned to me uh, in the reporting for Black Off the Track was just that, you know, there are these talks happening of like, what is the protest going to look like next year? Whether it's how how are these athletes going to feel comfortable with USA being on their chest when they don't even feel that proud of what the country has become? So 
um, there's more to come, I think. And I, I'm curious to see what, what shape and form it, it takes next year. Yeah, I'll just say buckle up, y'all. Because like you said, man, we'll see what happens at this election. But like you said, like this guy's in LeBron James mentions, you know? So <laughs> imagine, imagine if the Olympics were happening this year. God, shit would be crazy. But even next year, because like no matter what, no matter what happens with the election in general, like it's this, it's still gonna be that that feeling. Like we, if they feel like they need to say something, they're gonna they're gonna say something, you know. And you know, yeah, we even saw um, was that Nikki Hiltz, you know, and when they on the rule the rule fifty, yeah. they can't protest. It's like or what? Like what's what's gonna happen? You know? Flexing. Yeah, it's like or what? So, and then you know, there's backlash and people are getting angry about that. But that's how really how people feel. Like they're like or what? Like I'm gonna still win this. If I still win this race, it's like, so you're just gonna take everybody's medals away, or like that's just gonna make it worse, and that's gonna honestly promote the promote the protest. You know. So and we'll see what what I really uh I, I agree with all the points you guys just made, and then. Well, as we start doing two black runners more in these past six months, what I really noticed is that like there is a whole different side of running and like that I I've never even like seen before. And that's like running like activism, seeing someone like Allison Desir and then seeing uh, I've seen like Chris, you posted on like your Instagram with like the runners who protest like in in uh, New York City and stuff like that. I didn't even know there was like there's there's literally like runner running activists that like are are about that life like year round and how did you how did you just feel about how they're like touching touching people now as i feel like mod aubrey just made it even bigger and bigger because we see that this it's a real thing that like people of color and people of marginalized groups when they go out and run there is a certain type of fear for your life or there's different things that running is a privilege when you go out and run by yourself to not be scared at all what's going on if you're a race if it's if you're a different color race or if you're a man or a woman there's differences to it so how do you just feel about that emerging growth of running activists in the space yeah it's it's been great um yeah um i admire the work that someone like allison desir is doing uh on the runners of nyc podcast we had uh, a friend of mine named Coffee on, and so he's been instrumental in leading these uh, protest runs in New York City. Actually, just like moments before we started recording this, a profile was just put out uh, of him in GQ, which I think is awesome. And so wow. he's been ever since we did that podcast, he's been picked up on Runners World, Outside Magazine, and so uh, he's just getting this added attention, and it's so well deserved. And so um, he's just one one of these people who is really uh taken to the streets and and really using this platform of running to to get this message across and and there is no sign of of okay this is the last running protest that we're going to have like this thing is going to go on for for a, a while the metaphor that everyone likes to use when it comes to uh sort of where we are in doing the work when it comes to combating racism is just that you know we're at mile one of this marathon right and mm. the the metaphor as well-intentioned as it is, is flawed. Because I, I think we're not even in the starting line or like corral yet when it comes to this. We're still at home, like getting ready, uh, waking up, having our peanut butter, whatever bagel right before we get to the race. Like 
the, we're not the race hasn't even started yet when it comes to to where we are so um there's been an awakening for sure and i think it's very visible when you look at the new york city running community um it's much more active than some other cities and states but that's because like i think i'm more in tune with the new york city running community to be able to see that and amplify it to the best of my ability with my mm -hmm. co-host and sherrick when we do the runners of nyc podcast we've had some pretty powerful voices on there one of them was like eric gardner's cousin who like i didn't really know was was a runner and he didn't really share that part of of his life to to other people that he ran with up until this year but he realizes that's something important to, to share and get out there because it's it is part of his story and so um in new york city you see it it's it, it's very much out there um i'm curious what it's like in in other cities for sure there's just a uniqueness that that new york has um where it's a little bit more in my face and, I, and i'm able to see it so um yeah i mean i i'm not sure if, if i answered your question but yeah it's been I, I i'm i'm in full support of it and i hope it doesn't stop and then uh, one more thing that I want to talk about for our track recap, and then we'll get you out of here. Just uh, this NCAA school is cutting cross country and track and field. And most recently uh, seeing Minnesota getting their uh, men's outdoor and indoor team cut, but then just their outdoor team just got reinstated the day that we're recording this, but their indoor uh, track and field is still cut. But then also William and Mary, and we got Akron's men's cross country team that got cut as well. And just how do you see this affecting the U.S. track and field and really just the NCAA as in a whole as we see just more and more schools getting cut? Because as we've talked to like Russell Dinkins and Hassan Mead and Ben Blankenship, like alumni from uh, the University of Minnesota, a lot of people don't feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg and some sense of, the, of a sense of that the NCAA is going to keep on, that schools are going to keep on cutting track programs and cross country programs. How do you see this affecting track and field long term? Yeah, it's not a good sign when you see a Big Ten school doing it because, you know, Big Ten is, is powerful. It's got football behind it. And, you know, these are a lot, they make a lot of money. And so uh, for a Big Ten school to cut, men's track and field and then like men's gymnastics and men's tennis like mm. it's harsh to, to it's a hard pill to swallow and i think it was a different case when it came to brown track being saved um because of the rollout when it, and like the reasons behind it were just so flawed um but it's it, i think it's going to be a reality you're going to see a lot more programs getting cut is it the is it the solution to to athletic you know departments and and the uh, deficit that they're facing not exactly because like I don't, I don't think track and field is that uh much of a money driver like sucks that much money out of out of these budgets mm -hmm. um, so maybe the the solution isn't to to necessarily cut teams but some places are gonna resort to it um so i don't necessarily agree with with the direction some places are taking it but you know there's a lot of petitions out there and i'm always kind of like on the fence of like how what is a petition going to do and like what do these signatures ultimately mean um it just kind of does show you know that there's twenty five thousand people whatever who share the same sentiment so you get that out there but beyond that like i i don't know what happens and if there's a easy one size fits all solution to, to saving akron that worked for saving you know brown or minnesota like i think it's all going to be a case-by-case -case situation and and it's unfortunate that it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, you just kind of have to continue to pray that we get as close as we can to, to normal times to, um, so that it stops. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I, I was gonna say, it's just like corporations doing layoffs, you know. And a lot of the time, it's a it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, you know. So yeah, I don't know much of what we can do, but I do think that with the Minnesota situation, I mean, they saved outdoor. Um, I think some of some of the people were feeling like all those heartfelt letters and everything, but yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna work at every at every school. Um, but yeah, yeah. Clark is like one of the regents put it, where he was like, "You can't solve this deficit with dreams and hopes." Like it's true. I mean, the, but these are the, there is a human component to it. Um, you have to take that sort of into consideration. It, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I like, I would not want to be one of these athletic directors making these decisions, but I also feel like I'm an athlete. I'm like, yeah, I know it's hard, but it's your job. You know, like you have to find a way to make it work. Maybe don't spend so much on, on your football coach or like use. I think a lot of it too, is just kind of like the misuse of allocating certain money and expenses into areas that maybe were a little bit too extravagant. Yeah, yeah, especially it's, it's it's really devastating just to see the opportunities taken away from so many so many kids that are trying to better themselves at that universe at universities all across the country where these are getting cut. Like I hope we can. It's it's a harsh reality, but it's reality at, at the least. But uh, with that being said, bro, I really do appreciate you coming on, Chris. We have a little bit closeout questions just to get you out of here, like real quick. And I really want to know just. You've done all these podcasts. You interviewed so many people. Like, what are some of your favorite guests? And then who is your dream guest? Like, who do you really want to get on the next couple months or down the road? Like, who do you want to have on your pod? Man, I'm trying to think, like, who's a dream guest? Because that, that's a really hard question. And it's like, I got to submit one. Ah, man, that's a really tough one. I'll, I'll come back to that. I'm trying to think. My favorite episodes I've done recently uh, would probably be Nick Willis back in like December or Feb- February, right before uh, Milrose Games. I had him on. I recorded with him in his hotel room. We took like a deep dive into his career, and um, I think he was kind of impressed with the the notes I brought to to this interview uh, because mm-hmm. uh, he had been telling stories that he had never told before, and like we examined races that uh, were like at the Olympics. Same thing with sort of Jenny Simpson recorded with her before the New York city marathon last year when she was in the city, we just sat down in the, in a hotel and, um, you know, uh, chatted for like, I think it was like an hour or 90 minutes, whatever it was. And it was, it was great. And I felt like, you know, we could, we could do this for a while. And those are two, uh, middle distance, like legends, uh, on the throws side too. Like, it's funny because like, you, you don't always tell, um, some of these shot put stories and it's not like, the most enticing event to, to kind of look at. But yeah. um, I think I had like a 90 minute podcast episode with uh, Joe Kovacs. And, and that one was like, man, you've got one heck of an awesome story. And so uh, Joe, Joe's great. So I'd, I'd go back and listen to that and just kind of like to not just overlook it. Um, the, the podcast episode that Leanne and I did with coffee um, is probably like maybe a must listen to episode because that one ended up going for, for two hours, similar to how long this show is where <laughs> you just have a, a great conversation that can go on and on. And, and the way coffee was able to take us through his personal history, these, these experiences that he's had sort of with racism and, and then just walk us through what he thinks needs to happen, which was just so powerful and great. And so 
I know, you know, this is, the man's in, is getting a GQ profile now and that kind of stuff, so he's taken off, but um, I, I'd go back and listen to the first episode we ever did with him. I think you guys should get him on, too. Joshua actually, Joshua actually brought that up before about getting him on, but I, I'm definitely going to go back and listen to that podcast that you did with him. He's kind of like a... Daryl, Joshua. He's kind of like Daryl. Yeah, yeah. Did you think of a dream guest, or it doesn't have to be a runner, but a dream guest to like bring on? Oh, if it doesn't have to be a runner, I well, I'll give you this: like the person when people ask me, it's like who's one person you you love to interview that you never have, and it doesn't have to be in running. Like, I I, I don't think I would get starstruck in front of anyone except for Derek Jeter, and and so <laughs> I think Derek Jeter is like the one person who I would love to sit down and have a conversation with. Um, so he, he's probably my go-to answer because it wouldn't have, it's not about running. This is, this is the person who I think motivated sort of the dreams I had as a kid. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I don't, I've never been in a situation where I can even ask him a question or, or like talk to him. Like aside from being at a game, I've never been that close to, to, to Derek Jeter. So if someone were able to make that happen, dream come true. Uh, I have a question real quick. Who would you say like in the. I think you may have already answered this question, but who would you say like in the sports media space uh, inspires you the most to do your podcast in general? So, I mean, I mentioned Bill Simmons is definitely like someone who like I like to take inspiration from when it comes to just like the laid back nature of his conversations. Um, when I was writing in college and that kind of stuff, David Epstein, um, who's the author of The Sports Gene, uh, and the book range. He's, I think maybe my favorite writer. Um, and he doesn't really write that much about sports anymore, but he was like the sports illustrated guy that I, that I dreamed of being. And so, um, yeah, I think like, he's definitely someone who I take inspiration from, but yeah, there's so many other, I, the style of like a Shea Serrano is just so funny. And I wish I could adopt that sort of voice to my writing. Uh, there, yeah. So, I mean, like there's many different ways of going about it, but I would say Simmons and David Epstein, like, are two people who um, I definitely like look look up to for sure. Nice. And then uh, we want to also ask you, like, who who do we need to get on the podcast? Like, who should we have on next? We're always open to new ideas, and who do you think would fit the the two black runners mold, as you could say? So you know, I mentioned coffee. Coffee would have a lot of fun with you guys. I'm I'm sure. The other, the other person who you mentioned earlier, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you guys have had her yet, is Shamir Little, because Shamir Little is maybe the funniest person on Twitter without even like realizing just how funny she is. And I also think that uh, on Instagram, if you watch any of her Instagram stories, hilarious. And um, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think people realize just how funny she is. And and she's made a world team, won a medal yeah. at world. Um, she's fairly accomplished and right there. And I think like the 400 hurdles is taken off. Uh, Shamir Little is, is, is definitely, yeah. Get her on the show for sure. Yeah. We'll look into that. Yeah. I would be down. I love the 400 meter hurdles. That's become, I've always liked the 400 meter hurdles since, uh, Angelo Taylor and, and Angelo Taylor, then Michael Tinsley was coming up and then Karan Clement. But then the recent years on how the women have been looking like the men Crazy. 400 the men and the woman has become my set, my two and three favorite events behind the, behind the 800. Still my favorite, definitely. But then last question, then we'll get you out of here. What mark do you want to leave on the sport of running when it's all said and done? When you hang, when you hang up your spikes, 
and also when you hang up the mic as well and retire uh that's that's a funny question because i i don't know like i think kind of you know we're the three of us are in the same boat where we're young we still got like a lot of time to continue to do so much work and, and put out a lot of different things into into this at least like the track and field sports media space so i think it's to continue to plug away at that you know grow the sport in whatever way we can and bring it to and make it entertaining and bring it to people uh who maybe like weren't track fans before or educate people like that kind of stuff uh, you know a lot of people you know i think the most followers i have is on is on twitter because people go there to get their news sort of from from me um and so it's continuing to do that and you know then at the same time add the personality and flair uh through studious mag and hopefully you know see see it take off a little bit more um uh, that that would be the the hope uh for me i think in the in the years to come uh, really really hoping that everything comes through praying that it comes through especially maybe, for you and maybe land like a hundred million dollar deal from spotify for, for all the podcasts right like yeah. that is a Rogan deal for, yeah for, make that happen yeah <laughs> yeah that that would be definitely a blessing but with that said bro really do appreciate you coming on this pod i wasn't expecting it to be in this long but i'm glad it was this long there's the great conversations especially at the beginning and then some great track stuff to talk to that that we haven't got the chance to talk to you about and really do appreciate you coming on the pod bro and everybody that has been listening to all this bro we really do appreciate it aaron you got anything left you want to say before we close out as always, if you listen this far into the podcast, you truly are a real homie, and we really do appreciate you taking out your time to spend it uh, with two black runners and the homie Chris. Thanks for thanks for coming on. This was well overdue. Uh, we definitely got to talk about everything we really wanted to. <laughs> oh, man. I lo- love what you guys are doing. Keep at it, and you know I'm I'm really happy to see you guys continue to take off. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. But that's all we got here today. See y'all next week on Two Black Tuesday. Let's get it.